and literally the Blackwater River took house and the whole nine yards. There's this raging snowstorm going on outside. Oh, well, we have to row this short stretch across the Matole River. So I had to drive really slow to get there as the ice was accumulating and there were all these warnings. Of course, you know, I want to be there for you, but, you know, I've got to figure out how I'm going to get to you because my street is flooded. I'm Augustine Colebrook, midwife, mentor, muse. I like to inspire others to create. I like to capture magic in the form of storytelling. And it inspired me to create this mini series. So if you're a regular listener, we're on a break between season three and season four, and I've created a four part mini series for you called Midwives and the Elements. We're gonna listen in as midwives tell their stories of triumph, sometimes tragedy, challenge and perseverance We're going to listen, midwives, tell the story of their work as they go from home to home, braving their way to birth centers and clinics around the country, serving families and mothers in their hour of need. And this first episode, we're going to start with the element water. The water element has introspective qualities. It's often referred to as the philosopher in traditional Chinese medicine. This element fosters modesty and sensibility. Water is associated with wisdom, stamina, and endurance. Water is available in the most abundant form on Earth and even in our bodies. Geographically, 71% of the Earth's surface is water, which includes all forms of oceans, lakes, streams, and rivers. And even our body is made of 70% water. Historically speaking, most civilizations were established near water sources. The Nile is called the lifeline of Egypt, and the Greeks worshipped the water god Poseidon. In Hindu culture, the river Ganga is considered spiritual in India, and people take a dip in it to purify themselves. Christians perform a baptism in holy water. Ancient Jewish traditions ask its people to spiritually cleanse in a mikvah bath on special occasions and Muslims perform absolution or wudu with water before their prayer. And of course, midwives use water at most births in terms of showers, hot compresses, and water birth tubs. But sometimes water is in an abundance. Sometimes there's so much water in the form of liquid or solid that it makes it challenging for midwives to travel and they must brave this element in weather that would make most of us stay inside. Sam Balter once said, nothing sticks in your head better than a story. It can express the most complex ideas in the most digestible ways. Storytelling has been an important part of our lives since the beginning of human history. It has allowed people to make sense of the world and derive its deeper meaning. So please join the stories that follow from midwives all over the country, sharing their deeper meaning here at the threshold of life. Let's go first to Texas. Longtime midwife and birth center owner Kathy is going to tell us a couple stories. One about getting out of her house to get to a birth center, where a photo of her went viral on the internet. And the other story 
about finding care with midwives for a mom who was refused at a hospital during a flood. Midwives are some of the most dependable people on the planet. And this story illustrates that. Let's listen in. Hello, I'm Kathy Rood, and I'm a midwife, a certified professional midwife and licensed midwife in the state of Texas. Uh, I live in Katy, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. And I have a story to tell you about something that happened to me involving the elements back in 2016. Uh, that year, we had three major floods in the Houston area. And the, I believe it was the second flood we had that year, which was on tax day. So it was um, April 15th. And we had a heavy, heavy, heavy rain with lots and lots and lots of flooding in the whole area. My street, uh, I don't live very far from my birth center, Katie Birth Center, um, probably about two miles, but my street was completely flooded up to my doorstep. And I had a client that was due in early labor. This was her third baby, and I had delivered her first, her second baby. Her first baby had been a C-section. So she had a VBAC with me with her second, and then this was her third baby. And so I told her, of course, you know, I want to be there for you, but, you know, I've got to figure out how I'm going to get to you because my street is flooded. And I could possibly have walked, but it was like, you know, up to here, you know, very deep. And I needed to carry my stuff with me and, you know, my Doppler and the stuff that I needed, because probably when I got to the birth center, I was going to be at the birth center for probably 24 to 48 hours. So I was taking some food and different stuff with me. So I'm carrying these things and I, I really just couldn't walk through that kind of water. She was getting concerned, the mom, her name is Andrea. And of course, because she wanted to make sure that it was all everything was going well for her, for her birth. And so we were looking around to see if we could find a kayak to get me to float down my street. They had a really big truck with big, big wheels, and they were able to make, make it to the end of my street. It's a one street cul-de-sac. And they were able to get, even though it was high water, they were able to get to the end of my street, but they couldn't drive down my street and come get me because it was just too deep. So we were looking for a kayak. They had a friend that had one. They contacted them, but they were out saving people somewhere else and they couldn't get that kayak. By this time, it's in the afternoon and beautiful weather. It was sun was shining. It was not raining, but it was just flooded. And one of my neighbors was floating on her inflatable swan down the middle of the street. And Andrea, the mom, saw her, and they were at the end of the street parked, and she yelled out at her and said, hey, hey, can you help me? Can you go get my midwife and bring her to my truck so that she can deliver my baby? And um, her name is Celeste, and she knows me, and uh, she grew up with my children, and she said, oh, Kathy, yeah, sure, you know, I'll go get her. So Andrea called me on the phone and said, I've got a ride for you and it's coming up to your door. 
And I said, okay. So I had all my stuff together and I opened the door and here's this little swan with Celeste on it right in front of me. And um, we both laughed and, you know, talked about it for a minute. And she floated, literally floated it up to my front door. I stepped on to the swan. I did not get wet. She, she got off. And so she was walking with it. And so she pushed me down to the end of the street, which is about 12 or 15 houses down. And um, so I would just float it along until we got to the end of the street. And then uh, I was able to get into their truck. Again, I didn't even get wet. And uh, but had all my stuff with me. And then we were able to slowly through a very circuitous route to take us take us through Katie until we could get to the birth center. And um, she had her baby. That was probably three or four in the afternoon. And she had her baby that evening, I think about eight o'clock. Lovely water birth and everything was beautiful. Uh, they were able to leave after the baby was born after several hours and I couldn't. So I was stuck there, but I had brought all my stuff with me and I stayed there. And the next day the water started draining and my husband was able to come and pick me up and take me home. You know, we had another situation that happened. I'm trying to remember if it was that flood because we had so many floods. And then the very next year we had Harvey, which was even a worse flood. But um, I think maybe it was with Harvey, but we had a plan. So we were, you know, when somebody would call and it was the middle of that, it was pouring rain and all the streets were flooded. You couldn't get anywhere. Um, the plan was for the client to go to the closest hospital to deliver. And if we could make it there to, to help them, we would. But, you know, that was what we were. That was the plan. So uh, one of the other midwives that are in our center had a client that went into labor during that flood. And so they went and were able to get to the hospital closest to them. And they went in there and the hospital said, we can't take anybody in. They refused to take a laboring woman that, you know, they said, no, we, we can't do it. Just turned her away. Even though she was in the hospital, walked in. And so we were calling around frantically and there's a birth center fairly close to that hospital. They were able to get to that birth center. One of their midwives was able to get there and she, you know, delivered their baby. But we were really appalled that the hospital did that. They said, we're on drive-by. No, we can't take anybody. Now we're gonna take a trip to the South with Audrey. Usually in South Carolina, it's warm and sunny and balmy and pleasant, but not this year. This particular year, there was a severe ice storm that caused power outages and downed power lines. And yet, labors still happen. Somehow, midwives and families always find a way. Let's listen in. I'm Audrey Trekachoni. Um, I am a certified professional midwife and licensed in the state of South Carolina, where I've been for about two and a half years. I've been a midwife. I've been a CPN since 1998. So I've had lots of adventures and lots of wonderful stories. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to share was that I feel like anime taught me how to tell birth stories like she said when you talk amongst uh, women you're gonna tell 
you know, wonderful, uplifting things that are encouraging. And you're, you know, you're going to take all the terror and mystery out of birth by telling the real stories that actually happened. And so, um, I really thought that was impressive. And then, uh, I started looking at how, um, storytelling helps us psychologically, you know, that our memories are our memories, but the more we tell them, the more we build around the story. And then, you know, I, I really like, um, telling stories and I, and I embellish them a bit for dramatic effect, but all the events are real and, uh, you know, the names have been withheld for privacy except for mine. And, um, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, living and working in the South where we always have good weather. You know, we get some bad thunderstorms once in a while, but this one year we had uh, the ice storm from hell and uh, our community was a little unprepared and a third time mom was far away from me over an hour away. So I had to drive really slow to get there as the ice was accumulating and there were all these warnings and I didn't have the right tires on my car and there wasn't a lot of salting and scraping going on yet. So I was terrified that I wasn't gonna make it in time. Well, when I got there, their power was already out because the weight, it only takes a quarter inch of ice on those lines to like kill everything. So, and this is back in the day when we weren't too worried about internet or cell phones. We just, you know, um, it's flew by the seat of our pants. If someone called us, we just went, you know, we didn't have constant contact. So it was also knew I wasn't able to call for help very easily. So the power's out. The mom's labor has stalled because she's terrified, <laughs> but I'm there safely. And uh, we start thinking about how, let's see, how are we going to make tea? And then it starts to get cold in the house and we're like, uh, how are we going to keep warm? How are we going to have water? How are we going to have anything that we need for the birth? And so the mom like is stricken with terror and she turns to her husband and says, do you think we'd have to go to the hospital? <laughs> because we don't have electricity. So he gets on the phone and starts calling the power company and said, look, we're about to have a baby. You really need our power back on. And they just kind of laughed at him. And so um, I just said a silent prayer that maybe we could build a fire in the fireplace or um, maybe, you know, we could find a, a generator or some, you know, batteries. And, and, and now at this point, we're using our flashlights, which we know are going to go out soon. They have a few candles, um, but she says, no, the fireplace, you know, has never been inspected. The chimney's probably cracked. I can just see that, you know, the toxic smoke would be bothersome to me. And, um, I guess we'll have to try to get to the hospital. And then I turned to the dad and I said, is that what you want to do is drive out here in this with her and later? And he said, you know what? We have a propane heater in the shed. I was like, you do? And so he calls his mother who lives nearby and she has one too. Long story short, long, wonderful story short, we heated up one room. We uh, used uh, our flashlights and had a beautiful birth right by the heater in the dead of winter with lots of ice, rainy, and uh, I just was so thankful for, you know, the provisions that we did have, the, 
you know, the, the, the food that was still in the fridge that was okay and um, plenty of blankets and all the things that we do to prepare for a birth don't even really come into play. You know, we hardly take all that stuff out of our car, but we carry it around and we always have it and we always make sure everything's okay for mom and baby. So even with disastrous weather, um, you know, we had a beautiful outcome and then we didn't have to go to the hospital. Nothing uh, was a problem. And then when the power came back on the next morning, that's when we made tea and did the laundry and cleaned everything up. But our, our propane heaters lasted through the night, so we were able to stay at home for the birth. Sometimes home is a precarious place. And many of us have done deliveries in hotels and Airbnbs. I've attended births in a horse barn and a teepee. And sometimes home is really impermanent. Let's take a trip to Florida and listen to Vicki as she tells the story of attending a birth and then not having a home to come back and visit the next day. I started um, in 1974 in rural West Virginia. I have to say that one of the most impressive ones to me was very early when I started practicing in Pensacola. I had a delightful couple who were American Indians, uh, both by birth, and they were very young. Um, they were maybe 20 and 17. Uh, but very much into their heritage. Um, both sets of parents were obviously full-blooded Indian. And so they had American Indian and they had um, very definite ideas of how they wanted this birth to work. And I ended up delivering the two sons and a daughter for them. But the first one was really interesting. We had the baby at her mother's house. Um, which was actually a double wide trailer um, right on the river. Uh, and um, I was told by this gentleman that my spirit was a wolf spirit um, in the Indian thing. I don't know anything about that, to be honest with you, but I respected his opinion. And as I went to the home visit, I came up the front steps to the trailer and they opened the door and I was met by a full grown white wolf that had been the girl's wolf, her pet, since she was like five or six. This, this wolf had grown up with her and um, beautiful, just gorgeous blue eyes and just, oh, it was really beautiful. And they opened the door and I saw the wolf and I said, hmm okay and she said no come on in and I went in and I, I said is it okay if I acknowledge her and she said oh you can get better you can better if you made it through the door you're good so we went in uh did the home visit met everybody figured out what we were going to be doing she went into labor she was a first time mom with that first baby it was a boy we didn't know that but it was a boy um and she went into labor and labored kind of quietly overnight, um, rather stoic um, for a young lady who was maybe just turned 18 at that point. She was, she had her act together. They also had a cradle board for the baby 
And the dad had literally made a special knife to cut the cord with. That was very important to them. And nobody was to say anything about what sex the baby was because they didn't know. I thought, okay, I can do that. I can do that. So they kept the parents, both sets of parents out on the other side of the house. And at one point, things were going a little slow and I decided I would grow out and take a cat nap in front of the fireplace. So I lay down in front of the fireplace with a pillow from the couch and put my arms up on it. And then there was this thing laying beside me. And I realized <laughs> the wolf had followed me out of the room and stretched out and laid next to me. And I thought, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And 20 minutes, 25 minutes later, I heard noises that meant I had to get back into the room. Um, and I got up and the wolf followed me right back in there. And um, here comes this beautiful bouncing baby boy. He was like eight, 12. He was a good sized baby. And he comes out and he's absolutely fine. And I didn't say a word. Nobody around us said a word. The parents weren't even in there. They had no idea. And nobody said anything about the fact that it was a boy. And as the baby came out, she reached down and picked him up kind of underneath of the arms and sort of held him in front of her. And the wolf who was standing next to me howled. And her four male puppies who were right outside the back door also howled. And they howled probably for a minute or so, all of them in unison, howling and howling and howling. And the hair was standing up on the back of my neck. And I thought, oh, this is just so cool. And I said, what do you have a name? And his name is River. Only his name is River in Lakota because that's what they are. And I can't say it. So. And the next day we had a major hurricane and a flood and that whole house was gone. Oh, the whole house we oh had the birth in was, was swept away in the flood the next day. Wow. I told them that morning and I said, what are y'all going to do about the flood? And she said, we're gone. We're gone someplace else. we got a place. We're taking the wolves all with us, blah, blah, blah. And her wow. parents were gone and everything. And literally the Blackwater River took house and the whole nine yards. Enjoying this content and listening to midwives? Then join us in Colorado. This November, we're going to have our second annual midwifery wisdom experience to so much more than a conference. We'll be in Denver, Colorado from November 8th to the 17th. Tickets are still available, so check out our website, midwiferywisdom.com. You can sign up for the conference, the 10th, 11th, and 12th. You can take advanced NRP on November 10th. And we have six post-conference workshops that really can't be missed. First, Ultrasound Basics for Midwives with Amory Collins. Next, Shoulder Dystocia with Nicole Morales and an opportunity to take spinning babies with the incredible Nicole Morales. We have a comprehensive breech birth intensive with Breach Without Borders and the amazing Dr. Rixa Fries. And then everything a midwife needs to run a successful midwifery practice with Leslie Cornwell from Midwifery Business Consultations. And finally, we have the incredible duo, Mariah Mellon and Danny Lavore teaching the art of death keeping for birth workers. This is a conference that has over 30 speakers and some incredible breakout sessions. Our two keynotes are Kristen Eflin, 
speaking on equity in midwifery education, and Dr. Sanel Pendel talking about the fourth trimester, specifically the economics of the fourth trimester as a home visiting neonatologist herself. You don't wanna miss these presentations. We have a incredible store. We have a group of vendors who are gonna tell you all about their amazing products. We have a graduation ceremony and hand blessing for our new graduates in midwifery. And we have some incredible evening entertainment. This is the midwife event of the year. Please come join us. I'll see you in Denver. Well, now I've got a story for you. I used to live on the island of Maui and live is kind of a strong word. What I really mean is I bought a 1998 shuttle bus, <laughs> ripped out all 26 seats and turned it into a mobile tiny house slash clinic. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I really did do that. Back in 2017, 18, 19, in 2018, Hurricane Lane was a very powerful cyclone that brought torrential rainfall and strong winds around the end of August in 2018. And it was actually ended up being the wettest storm on record in all of Hawaii. And it had peak rainfall of 58 inches uh, in Hawaii. And Lane was a category five hurricane and had sustained winds that were crazy strong. And of course I was on call for clients and it was a time of uncertainty because I was living in a vehicle. So I chose to go to the uh, kind of the opposite side of the island from where the storm was coming just kind of waited out it it did downgrade to a not a category five when it hit but there were still winds of 160 miles per hour it was really crazy and um of course we were watching the weather with um you know clients who were getting ready to have babies i had one client who lived on the opposite side of the island she actually lived in Lahaina and she is one of the many very, very unfortunate families who have lost uh, everything they own in Lahaina with the most recent crazy experience of the fires. So this is the story of, of her and, and how she made it through that crazy time. So we were watching the weather and her labor started in a winter house. And this was her first home birth, but her third baby. And she was so strong and so powerful. And she just learned how to turn in and let go. And she had two boys already. And when she had her baby girl, it was just like celebration and triumph and like oneness with the world and her sweet husband was there supporting her and uh, it was just like a magical birth and then the winds picked up and uh, the day after she had her baby 
maybe it was two days later, but I'm pretty sure the day after she had her baby, um, she had to evacuate and uh, go stay somewhere higher up in the mountains because of the risk of flooding and storm damage and wind damage. And rain, there was so much rain. It was the, the most rain, I think, that ever fell at one time in Hawaii. The rivers were all a torrent. Um, and it was a scary moment. And I think for midwives, it's like so hard to imagine, like, how do we help people when we're busy helping ourselves? Or how do we, how do we advise people when we're afraid to, or, you know, the constant challenge of balancing, having faith and having trust, but also being smart and making plans. So it was quite a moment. I think we were all so relieved when everything passed and everyone was okay. And I have this memory of kind of snuggling up with her in bed after she finally got back home, I think like four days postpartum. And we just kind of hit reset and just like encouraged her to do her, you know, her postpartum again, like start over, do skin to skin, be naked, climb in bed, do nothing else. Yeah, she had a water birth, and so it was like water times 100, <laughs> this birth. And then just the uh, like um, a month later, like in mid-September, Hurricane Olivia, a Category 4 hurricane, also hit Hawaii, causing really severe flooding and wind damage. And Olivia was the first tropical cyclone to make landfall directly on Maui in all recorded history. And it was just such a time of like so much water and wind. Um, some of the, the storm surges, like the waves, were like the highest they'd ever seen. And for the week after both hurricanes, we would go to the point and like watch the surfers on these like crazy 30, 40 foot wave. And I just, I remember thinking like, is, I think this was the time in Maui when I learned that I actually wanted to stop trying to attract abundance, <laughs> right? We hear a lot about like, oh, I want it to be abundant. And I'm like, I'm manifesting abundance. And that sounds great when we're talking about like love or sunshine or something like that. But when we're talking about abundance, we can't control where it shows up. And I think that was the biggest lesson that I learned from that water deluge time is that we can't control when it shows up or how much it shows up. And so we have to be really careful with that word abundance. And uh, I started meditating instead on the idea of enough. I want enough rain so that my seeds sprout, and I want enough sun so that they can grow. And I want enough clouds so that, you know, we don't get sunburned, but I need my vitamin D. <laughs> so it's like a balance, right? Like that's what life is, and I think that's what midwifery brings is like this reminder of the balance. So my water story is about uh, remembering that we can't, control where abundance shows up so that's nothing the thing to meditate on instead we meditate on enough 
And I want to take this time to ask everyone who's listening to really consider donating to my friends who are still on Maui, still beginning the recovery efforts for their homes and their businesses and their lives. We have a link fundraising project going on our Instagram. So if you go check out Midwifery Wisdom on Instagram, you can donate to the Pacific Birth Collective, which is a nonprofit raising money to help displaced families and also gives um, a direction and a place for the midwives and the doulas of Maui to continue to help the families who need it. Big aloha to my friends in Hawaii. You've made it through so many challenges. I know that the aloha spirit is really strong, and I know that they can make it through this one too. So sending my love far and wide, and thanks for listening. We're going to go north to rural Michigan, and we're going to listen to Valerie as she tells us the story of her last catch in her student journey during a really extreme blizzard and really look at the indomitable nature of this profession. They say it's a calling. Nothing could be further from the truth. You go when you're called, even at own personal risk, braving the elements, this time a massive blizzard. My name is Valerie Maharg. I am a new CPM and a licensed midwife in Northeast Michigan in the United States um, in a very rural area. So we don't even have a red light in the whole county. It's, it's sparse <laughs> and it's cold here. So last December, I was on call for a birth that would have been my last catch as a student. And it had been snowing like crazy for about four days. Um, and they were telling everybody, don't travel, <laughs> of course. And um, this particular client was about, she lived about 10, 12 minutes from my home on normal roads and two and a half hours from my preceptor. So it was Christmas Eve, <laughs> about 11.30 p.m. And my preceptor called to give me a heads up to say that she was getting on the road to head there. Um, we always plan to arrive together whenever possible. So she started driving and I tried to lay down and rest for a little while, um, which didn't really work because I was so worried about the weather. Um, it got really bad and you usually check with your friends or on social media or whatever to say, have you been out? You've been this direction. Do you know how the roads are? And like, nobody had been out. They're like, no, of course we haven't. <laughs> That's crazy. Stay home. <laughs> so, um, I was trying to figure out how long it would take my preceptor to get there in the snowstorm, but I didn't really want to call her or text her because I knew what she was driving through. Um, so just kind of guessing and started to get myself ready. And I headed out, gave myself a little extra time to get there from when I thought she would. I hadn't heard from her. Um, my husband was out away from home working because he's a lineman and this storm had knocked out a bunch of power. So he left me his big truck 
possibly knew this was the possibility that I'd be driving in this. And I got on the main road to start going and it was, it was nasty. Um, it was snowing sideways. It was snow on the road and it was so windy that snow was blowing up into big drifts, big piles on the road, on the side of the road. Um, it was very slow going, taking my time. Um, did not see another car. There was not a soul on the road. So you start having all the thoughts, like, can I make it there? What if I get stuck? Will I be stuck till tomorrow? Um, what if we have an emergency? Can an ambulance make it to this client's home? Um, so just having all those, you know, all the thoughts that you get. And I turned off the main road to go the shortest way to their house and at some point, there was just this huge snowdrift. Um, I stopped early enough that I didn't get too stuck. I was a little bit stuck. I rocked the truck back and forth a few times, got out, and was able to back up enough to turn around very carefully. I couldn't even see the edges of the road anymore um, at all. Could hardly see anything. So very slow, very careful. Backtrack to the main road. To go around the other way which was longer but um it was the only option so about that time i think it was about the time that we thought we'd be arriving so my preceptor managed to let me know that she was obviously having a hard time as well and she wasn't sure when she'd even make it and i told her what just happened to me and kind of told her like don't go down that road because you won't get through took my time going around the other way um, and I was just pure adrenaline at that point. I was a little shaky. Um, and again, all the thought, what if I can't make it? What if they need an ambulance and they can't make it? Just thinking everything over and over. Um, finally get there and clients are fine. It was this young, sweet, healthy Amish couple, but she was very clearly in well-established labor and things were moving along. So I updated them on my preceptor and still didn't want to call her again. And I knew I didn't want to try to make her use her phone while she was driving. We got set up, calmed down a little bit. And then they asked me if I would go pick up um, their Amish friend that's interested in getting into birth work. And I was like, I knew it was the plan, but I thought, oh, gosh, I have to go drive down the road again. <laughs> but I did. I went and I got her. I drove right past her house. It was snowing so hard. And I know right where this house is. And I drove right past things I couldn't see. But got turned around, picked her up, back to the house. There's an assistant that we were working with to get her ready to work with me when I got my license. So I let her know that the labor was happening and that she could head out if she thought she could make it, but that it was really bad. And I wouldn't be mad if she couldn't. Um, told her which way was safest, which way I made it. She eventually got there as well. I got back with the Amish um, friend and the client had decided to get into her bathtub and was clearly progressing <laughs> well. And she asked me to get her pool ready, like the real birth pool. So we're setting that up. And then at some point she said, I can't, I can't get out of my bathtub. I'm just going to stay here. So I'm thinking, okay, Where's my preceptor? <laughs> you know, it was in the back of my head. This could be my last catch. I could be done today. Um, 
And then at some point, the client's mom got there, and there's this raging snowstorm going on outside, but we're all huddled. There's six of us, including the mom, in this bathroom together, (laughs) you know, trying to not think about anything else and just let this birth unfold totally normally, which it did, Um, and everything was fine, so I'm trying to keep myself calm about everything that just happened. Um, and my precepts are not, probably not going to make it at this point. She did finally let me know I had my smartwatch on. She made it till about five minutes from the house and got completely stuck in the middle of the road. So I just made sure she was okay and then kept working, you know? Um, well, when she finally made it to the house at this point, it's already after 6am, I think. And my preceptor got there after we had already got a mom and baby out of the tub and into the bed and come to find out an Amish, the Amish friend that we brought over called her husband and he had gathered a team of horses up and was going to go pull her out of the snowdrift. And right as he was getting there, four men from our county road commission also came upon her and was like, what are you doing? What are you doing out on the middle of the road? And when he found out why, he radioed a big snowplow to come and plowed her car out and then led the way and plowed all the way to the client's house so she could get there. Um, so we were all a little bit, you know, taken up by our travels and just managed to just stay calm and get this baby born totally normally. The birth was great. The getting there was the really hard part. And then at some point it dawned on me like, man, I still need another birth now. (laughs) But, you know, it was January 10th. That was Christmas Day. And I finally got the last gift on January 10th. So it didn't take long until we have, you know, another story. (laughs) And our last story for the water episode of the mini-series of Midwives and the Elements is in California. In fact, we're gonna go deep into the mountains of Northern California and back about 40 years with midwife Lily. Be prepared to be transported and transfixed with this story about home birth midwifery before cell phones and even before paved roads in this area. It's the story of how midwives jump when they're called and head out into the unknown, figuratively and literally. Let's listen in. Hello, everybody. I'm Lily, Lily Bavani Aquarium, and I live in the mountains of Northern California, really far north California being so long. We're way up in the the northern part. We're actually only about an hour and a half from the Oregon border. Uh, So when people think of California, they think beach, you know, Malibu, where I grew up in Southern California, but we're really different. We're way up in the mountains and um, we're an hour from any town, our our homestead. We have a large homestead. Um, We're some of those original back to the landers that happened in the 60s and 70s, especially in California. And within that um, back to the lander idea, we all, you know, moved out on far, far homesteads and 
built our own houses and you know grew our own food and had our own babies. And in doing that, um, I came to Humboldt County, California in uh, 1974 and I was pregnant with my son. I was 18, just happened to happen. And um, I realized very early on that I did not want to give birth at home. I mean, in the hospital, I want to give birth at home, but not in the mountains. There was no infrastructure. So I moved to Berkeley, had him and then moved back up in uh, the spring of 1975. And it was kind of like, as soon as that happened, people just started having babies, just like, tons of babies, just like, it was like time. It was just the right time. And we just kind of, we meaning me and two other women, one had had a baby, one had not. One I went to high school with and the other one I uh, learned, I met ju in junior high school. So I'd known for a long time. Uh, Jody was pregnant, Rebecca hadn't had a baby yet. And the three of us decided, well, let's go sit next to that woman's bedside while she's in labor, kind of whatever that means. And that, that was our training. <laughs> so it was very, um, very uh, not common um, as far as the world of midwifery is now, but that's how it was then. We, um, it was kind of the story of, you know, have one, see one, do one. So we had, I had a baby at home, saw Jody give birth, started catching babies. It was just, like that and there wasn't any real question about it. It was sort of interesting because, and it was really the time period. It's really not probably ever gonna be repeated, um, especially on the West Coast. Um, people were constantly you know, going against the norm and changing it up. And uh, this, the, the local hospital in uh, our town of Garberville uh, was you know, super backwards even for then, where dad was still left at the door, you know, of the hospital. He couldn't even come in the hospital, this little tiny country hospital. So we had to fight against that. And what we did was just say, okay, screw you guys. We're just going to have our babies at home. And one thing that did happen was we created our own clinic and it was a few community members and midwives. And we created something called Reverend's Rural Health Center. And it's, it's still going um, 50 years later and has all kinds of funding and you know, um, really um, takes care of the low um, income population and anybody. But as we were building that and we would see loads of pregnant women, we just lay them out on the floor and next to each other and take turns and the pregnant women would take turns and we'd all feel bellies and just sort of figure out what was going on. If there was something that we couldn't figure out. We talked to some other midwives farther south. We all were taking classes. And um, one day this beautiful, now I'm gonna tell a story. One day this beautiful um, Australian woman, woman walked in to our little tiny clinic and she was super petite and bubbly and just um, really um, just a twinkle. And she had this very tall, um, uh, big, very um, solemn, uh, shy kind of um, man, husband. And they just literally that moment had moved from uh, Marin County farther south where they had had their first child, uh, their two-year-old son. And uh, she came in just vastly pregnant and she was so tiny. She was that kind of woman where she just, is just like old belly, you know? And, oh, when do you do? And she says, oh, I, I think I'm due like, um, maybe in about two weeks or so. 
she didn't have any records and you know all that kind of stuff and but she was very clear about how her last pregnancy had gone so we wrote it all down and she and then we said where do you live oh i live out in petrolia which is towards the coast from here and a lot of us had this is like almost 40 years ago this story goes back and a lot of us hadn't been all the way out in our vast reaches of our community because the roads are bad and two hour windy, you know, mountain roads and all that. So at that time, there were about six of us in this little informal collective. And we all looked at each other and have you been to Petrolia? No, I've never been to, I've been to Edersburg. Well, I've been, I mean, you know, everybody was kind of like, so everybody was like, well, okay, we'll just figure it out. We have a couple weeks, we'll just figure it out. Okay, well, let's make a home visit. Okay, somebody go out and make a home visit. So we figured out a home visit. And of course, this woman, this wonderful woman went into labor that night. So all of our plans were dashed, you know, we didn't even have time to get her a birth, birth kit or anything. And, um, and it happened to be, I'm trying to remember, I'm pretty sure it was March. So it wasn't like the middle of winter, which can be very rainy and is sometimes snowy here but the rivers were pretty big and it was, you know, still um, shorter, shorter days and that kind of thing. And um, when we get the, uh, you know, bear in mind, everybody, this is way before cell phones or um, even very good landlines. And, and, and we're talking about a very rural area where there's not a lot of traffic or cars or great vehicles. Uh, we'd CB radios and that's often how we connected or we would call on our regular phone or somebody would call us and they would call to somebody with a CB and then they would go and run to the person's house or something like that. That's usually how it happened. So um, one night I get a phone call. Um, I think this woman had just kind of gone down the list of who was available and a couple other midwives were at births or out of town, one woman was still on maternity leave. So um, Mary and I went out and they gave us this real cryptic message, you know, through, this is through a second party. Um, you know, Margie's in labor, this woman's in labor, she's having contractions, they're about five minutes apart. We're thinking, oh gosh, second baby, okay. Um, of course, it's the middle of the night, super dark. And I, you know, contacted Mary and she and I met in town together and we got into one car. I think it was my car, I'm pretty sure I was driving. And we just started driving. So to get there, you go through this mountain area, lots of redwoods along the river. And then you go up this higher mountain called Panther Gap. And then you go down into this gorgeous valley. I mean, it's just so beautiful there. You're right on the edge of the ocean. It's the westernmost part of the United States, actually, of California and of the all the United States. The contiguous United States, not including Alaska. And we're just, I mean, really literally just driving out to the middle of the edge of nowhere. And of course it's raining and foggy and we get out there and we've been given this very cryptic message and we can't like call it. It's not like on the cell phones that where we can just call somebody or text. Okay, I'm, you know, two miles out. Do I make that left turn there? You know, no, we're just like blindly, literally we, and, you know, fortunately, of course, Grace was with, was with us. And, and that's just how I've always seen it, where we got to this person's house on this little dark uh, back narrow street of this little tiny place. And we stopped. And <laughs> I mean, sometimes I tell this story and I think it sounds a little um, like I could have made it up, but it really isn't. And I, I feel like I've tried really hard not to embellish it 
which is so easy to do over the 40 years it's been or 38 years, something. But Mary and I both, you know, have rechecked each other over the years. And we, you know, we get out of the car and you know, we've got our umbrella and raincoats. We're trying to keep our two bags, you know, dry and, and you know, get the oxygen. And, and this really tall, he was like six, six tall, white haired man um, who I came to know later, Rex kind of just appears out of the mist. And he says, hello, I'm going to escort you to the birth, to the Smiths. And we were like, oh, okay, great. That sounds great. So we've got all this stuff and he's looking at our stuff. He's not very impressed. And he looks at us and he's like, come on into the back of the house. My, my wife has some boots for you. We're like, okay, okay. You know, so we, 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 <laughs> we like, should have been a clue. We get to the back porch and sure enough, she's got like this, just like this row of rubber boots of different sizes and lengths. And, and she's like, pick a pair. And we're like, okay. So we're thinking, well, you know, it's Humboldt County. We, we have to trudge through the mud. I don't know. So yeah, we put our bags down. We put our, we get our boots on trudging down. He says, we just have to go down this little path. Okay. We go down this little path. You know, have you heard from this woman? Yes. She's still in labor. She's doing great. She's really excited to have you arrive or something like that. We're like, okay. We go down this path, you know, with a flashlight, the bags, and he's carrying some stuff. We go down and we go down to this river, which we can't really see because it's dark and foggy, but we can hear it going along. I'm like, okay, this is super interesting. Well, maybe we're just going to, you know, take a truck that's there that goes along the river. I don't know what we thought. And we get down there and Rex has this rubber raft. It's not even a boat. It's a rubber rubber raft, one of those inflatable rafts, it's a pretty large one. And he, he proceeds to pull it in and starts loading our bags into it. Just real matter of factly, like we've done this a hundred times and we're like, we're, we're gonna, where are we going? Oh, well, we have to row a, this short stretch across the Matol River. And then we're going to, uh, Mar and Margie's husband's gonna meet us on the other side uh, in his four-wheel drive truck, and then he'll drive us up to the farmhouse. And we're like, okay. I mean, I think because it was that many years ago, we were 20-something. It was like, oh, sure, why not? Okay, so we just got in and trusted all our stuff would stay dry, and you know, we would stay dry, and we wouldn't dunk off. You know, the eeriness of it, of course, is accentuated by the fact that it's dark and foggy. And on the river, there's always like a little mist, you know, often. And um, so it, it was just complete blind trust and faith in this beautiful older man. It was just, and he just, we got in, he just starts rowing across and he does perfectly. Obviously he's done this hundreds of times and we get over to the other side. It's not a long row. It's bigger in my mind. It's maybe 10 minutes or something. And it wasn't treacherous. The river was flowing, but it wasn't like, rapids or anything like that and we get across and uh, oh well, again when we get part way across we can see headlights through the mist and it's um the uh the husband of the woman in labor um shining his truck headlights out on the water um and that was helping rex you know navigate and get over there and we got over there and you know and the dad helps pull up the boat and grabs our bags and he's like yeah margie's like she's she's just like breathing and walking around and and we're like getting a little anxious at this point like you know we got there Let, let's get up there 
And we're like, great, okay. So we get into his truck. He's like a kind of a high pickup truck and all our stuff in there, gear up there and go up this muddy track up to this farmhouse with the sheep all over. They were sheep farmers. And um, well, I guess the sheep were in the barn at that point. The next day we saw the sheep out, but that at that moment we didn't see anything. And we come up to the this farmhouse, you know, lit by kerosene lamps. They didn't have electricity still or even um, solar electricity yet. It was still by kerosene lamp. And, and we go into this very nice wood stove warmed house. And there's this beautiful petite woman and she labored for another like 12 hours. So we had loads of time to get there. Um, and sometime the next day, it was beautiful, beautiful day. It actually ended up being sunny. We were able to look out and see where we actually were, you know, and see the river going by and the sheep in the fields and play with her toddler. and. She had a beautiful birth and uh, I went there twice more. <laughs> and for her third baby, uh, unfortunately she always had long labor. She always had at least 12 hour labor. She never had anything shorter than that. And she had big babies, eight, eight and a half, nine pound babies, even though she was this teeny little thing. And, um, oh, that's also what was beautiful. Her Australian mother was always there and she was this beautiful, older, short woman, and she would just have these gorgeous expressions. Oh, Moggy, you're so clever. You know, she would just be so beautiful. And the second birth, it was summertime. It was like July, I think, or something. So we were able to drive across the river. We didn't have to take the boat. And uh, same thing again, Rex met me there and, and uh, drove me across in the truck and went up to the farmhouse. And by the third birth, a couple of years later, um, they had gotten permission to get the road in to their house. Uh, there was this whole land dispute about with its rancher neighbor and all that. And so finally, by that time, they had a road put in and I had two more babies by then of my own. So I just brought the whole family, brought my husband, two kids and my teenager. <laughs> and we all became friends. Obviously, we're all really good friends. That's my water, elemental water story. And don't we just all become friends? Being a midwife is one of the most special professions in the world because we start out as strangers and through the course of holding space, drinking tea, gazing at bellies and babies, we build some of the most strongest bonds between midwives and each other and their students and their clients and the families. To this day, I still get emails, messages from grandmothers who I stood next to as we watched their daughters welcome their babies. And the connections and the brilliance, it's hard to understate. It's an incredible journey. Thanks for listening to our water stories and be sure to tune in next week when we explore the next element in our Midwives and the Elements miniseries.